Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to episode 145 of Pixel Sift, the show dedicated to indie games from around Australia and the world. My name's Fiona and joining me tonight is my co-host Mitch. Hey, thanks for joining us again. Hey, I'm back. Here we are. I'm glad to be on it. It's fantastic. Love it. And our guest this week is Ash Ringrose from SMG Studio, and he's here to tell us all about their new game, Moving Out. Thanks for joining us tonight, Ash. Hey, thank, thanks for having me. We're all, now, we're all in a white we're all in a white room now. Yeah, we're all got very similar backgrounds, like you pointed out before. Yeah. Now, before we do get into that and talk more about your game, what are we talking about first, Mitch? Yes, so we'll be taking a look at how developers keep players engaged with their games uh, and to get them to come and get players to come back even after months after launch. All right, let's get into it. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Okay, so the first week of game sales and releases is always really exciting for studios. What happens when the hype dies down? Uh, Last year, during Melbourne's International Games Week, Valve ran various talks to give hints and tips on how to prepare uh, leading up to your game's release. And uh, tips have been posted online recently, so it's a good opportunity to discuss uh, what some developers have been doing. Uh, So, Ash, you've released a number of games over the years, and um, so how do you get people to keep, keep the interest up and, like, retain your players? Yeah, I think uh, it's. It, I almost try to compare it to like a game of uh, pinball. So if you if you consider your game like, there's t- two ways you can launch a game. You can launch a game like ten pin bowling, where you launch the ball, and then you just hope that you get a strike. Or you consider your marketing and your game launch like pinball, where you launch it, and then basically you know you keep hitting flippers and trying to get the high score. So um, you know we try to. I try to consider it like like pinball where you're continually trying new ways to kind of either tell people to buy your game or new ways to uh, get people interested. I, I like to do a lot of content marketing, which is like, you know, make up funny things or create content about the game um, to try and hit different areas. Um, you've also got, you know, your, your updates to the game that you can do, but um, not every game can have, you know, a constant stream of updates. We've We've got a very diverse portfolio. We've got some games where we've, kind of launched and haven't done any new updates so we just keep but we use more marketing um kind of like death squared or we've got a game like risk where we're kind of now slowly getting to that software as a service where we keep keep constantly updating adding new content to buy new new content to re-engage the audience so there's definitely multiple strategies but i think the overall way of thinking about it is think of think about it like you're playing pinball where you know you really have to stay engaged while the ball's doing its thing and be ready to know when to hit the flippers and try and get a, a top score. So is there, so uh, the pinball analogy is really great, but are there some things that are planned from the beginning? Uh, I'd like to say yes, uh, but not always. Um, I think with, I think risk is probably the best example that we have of with constant updates. So we not only have new map packs that we add um, over time. So new maps get people in, but we do constantly adding uh, new features. Uh, we have kind of like regular free map of the week where people can, oops, sorry, where people can play. Um, we've had a community Discord channel kind of pop up and grow really well. So they run regular tournaments. Um, a lot of it's, you know, a lot of retention part is also having a community. Um, we've learned that, you know, slowly. So, 
you know, if you have friends, you've got a friends list or you're joining uh, Discord now and you're making friends and, they, and you regularly play against them, that is a lot harder to quit than quitting a game. And I think I've seen that a lot um, with other games, you know, where they, where they add clans and the clans are there, one, for monetization, but two, the main reason is retention to kind of get people coming back. So, you know, there's a they're not just they're feeling like they let their, their friends and their clan down if they don't play regularly. So that human connection is really important. So you try and add that to your game and we've kind of slowly got, got to that point with Risk now and Discord's been really helpful with that because the community's kind of moderates and grow, grown itself. Um, I'd like to say that we, you know, we planned that and we, we grew that ourselves, but it kind of happened organically. So we're kind of rolling with it. But I think that's, that's kind of a secret source is how do, you, how do you get a community around it? It's a lot easier with Risk because it's a multiplayer game than a single-player game. Um, I think with Death Squared, we just plan to have lots of different ways of talking about the game and just constantly thinking up new, new ways. So, you know, when Smash, Super Smash Brothers was being announced, you know, we did, and I saw someone had made a, a Joy, no, it was a Joy Con, a Toy Con Man animation. It was an Aussie animator. I instantly contacted him and said, hey, can you do one with just the, the Death Squared bots and I'll pay you the money to make an animation? And he did that and we kind of, you know, trying to, trying to jump on the hype train on certain things. Um, whether that brings people in to the game is less important than kind of raising SMG's profile as well. So I kind of see it as a portfolio play where if we can continue to raise our profile, then maybe we'll convince them later on to buy our game. It's not, all, it's not always about, you know, getting the third base type of thing with a, you know, buy our game, buy our game. It's like, Hey, we're cool. Come, you know, we've made fun content and then slowly wear them down to buy our game (laughs) over time. Do you have to be aware of other games that are coming out? Because obviously your plan when you want to release, do you have to be aware not only of the mainstream, the big AAA titles, but also other indie games as well? Yeah, you definitely, a lot of that's not just for, it's less, for sales, it's more about the, um, I guess, the oxygen in, you know, the press, oxygen in the streamers and creators, and just um, also just, you know, how much noise you can make. Um, if you're trying to make, I think when we launched Death Squared, first before the Switch, we launched just after the Nintendo Switch came out and just the week before Horizon Zero Dawn or around that period, and we got totally starved out. Um uh, you know, or starved of oxygen. Luckily, the switch kind of you know boosts that back up. But yeah, I think you definitely want to plan your releases around where you can. But if you look at the slate for the year, you know, generally, like there's no good time to launch. It's it's busy throughout the whole year. Or you have a perfect date, like we did. You're like, oh, this is perfect. And then something else, you know, surprise launch, or you know, Cyberpunk will announce their date, or as as we had um the Last of Us. We'll have a big, uh, you know, a big leak, and then they'll announce the date of their game, and so you know, suddenly you're no longer the, the front page on the site. You're now the third article because there's been three other articles posted that day. So, you know, you, you can never plan uh, to have the best time because someone, everyone, surprise launches, or you know, people, everything's flying by the seat of their pants. So there's never a good, I guess, there's never a good time unless you're, you know, The Last of Us or you know, Cyberpunk or Assassin's Creed, but. Um, you know, to, 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 to command that attention, you just have to really kind of, you know, uh, you know, get all your ducks in a row and make sure that you have, you know, everything kind of lined up beforehand. We, we found surprise launching as a small game. We did that for OTTTD on the Switch. doesn't work unless you're a really big title uh, just because, 
you know, you don't have enough. People people can't scramble fast enough. And then if they don't get it onto it in the first week, you're old news. So I, I would say don't surprise launch unless you're, um, you know, unless you are a big surprise, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a big, if you're a big deal, you can surprise launch. Over the past few days, we put the uh, question forward. Um, we wanted to know um, what what games you spent the most time in and what, what keeps you there. And we got a great, we got a lot of great answers. Um, so Drew Richard from the uh, Perth, uh, Stream Perth Discord, um, he says uh, that uh, I've got about two, 2K hours in Dota 2 and CSGO and I have about 1K hours on Skyrim across all platforms. Uh, Dota 2 and CSGO I keep playing because I play them with friends every day and as a way to hang out. And uh, Skyrim is my go-to game whenever I run out of things to do or run out of the internet. Wow. Um, yeah, so when I have the game on six different platforms. So this, this, this guy's pretty much the wow. perfect customer, isn't he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know you're serious when you're talking in, uh, when you talk about your time in Ks, you know, like, oh, it's, that one, seems... it's a one. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I think you hit, yeah, you hit on a really good thing, like that, that community aspect of playing. Oh, I play because I hang out with my friends, you know. Um, that, you know, that's the same for mobile games, your Clash of Clans, all those type of games. Like that community aspect is you've got that and maybe the those games where, you know, it's like an endless, uh, you know, you never get tired of them. Like the, you know, the four, what do they call the 4X games or, you know, like the Minecraft style type ones where there's just endless content opportunities or endless ways to play. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, when someone spends that long in a game, it's, you know, that's, they're the games that are always successful. You know, if you can spend a a thousand hours and still want to keep playing, if you can spend 50 hours on the game and still want to be playing, you know, you know, you've got a hit. So you've released, like we've said before, quite a few games already. What do you do when you want to bring more attention to one of your older games? Yeah. uh, I mean, there's, yeah, like I said, there's a few options. There's one you can, you know, update with new content. That's sometimes, uh, it's probably the most expensive way of doing it in some ways because uh, if it depends on how old the game is as well. You know, we've looked at our older games at two, three years old, just to op- just to get the Unity version up to date. You know, we're talking like a month, you know, sometimes a couple of weeks or a month's work. And then you're like, ah, oh, if you just got a simple idea, it's like, ah, oh, you know, you're already a month deep there. Um, but, you know, if, if you've, if you've, con- if you already plan for that constant updates, like we have for risk, then it's just a matter of planning out your kind of um, your your program for the year and going, okay, well, yeah, we'll have these updates. Um, you know, again, I think content updates are probably the best because it's, you know, gets in existing players like, oh, new stuff I can play, but also you use that to attract um, uh, old, uh, new players. Um, you've also got advertising you can do as well. We've dabbled in that a little bit. I think that's one that's obviously more tuned towards probably mobile free games. Because, um, you know, for a free-to-play game, it's much easier to acquire users to get someone to spend, to see an ad and then spend to buy your game is quite, you know, quite a short, uh, I would call it sales funnel. Um, I think people expect, you know, like when when Coca-Cola or any other advertising does advertising, they're not expecting you to go out and buy Coca-Cola straight away. They're expecting that to be, you know, to kind of add you to the funnel, to brand recognition. Um, So for an indie game to get, to do advertising and actually make a return, a positive return on that spend is really hard because you, all you're doing is feeding the top funnel. So, um, you know, we don't spend as much on that free to play mobile advertising is a bit different because you can get people instantly like, you know, they're on their phone like, Oh yeah, yeah, I'll install that, you know, click. 
um, but to, you know, go to Steam from their mobile or from watching YouTube to go to Steam to buy something for 20, 30 bucks or $50 is a much harder thing. So we, we try to do it through content updates, uh, content marketing, which is, you know, coming up with silly ways to talk about your game um, or new ways. Um, and just, I, I also use Twitter to kind of, you know, I troll, I have the um, search thing for on, like people looking for co-op games or, I even have one that says, just bought a Switch. There's a lot of people that when they just bought a Switch, like mm-hmm. talk about it, like, hey, I just bought a Switch. And so I'm always jumping in like, oh, we'll try our games. They're on sale or there's a free demo. So, you know, that's a real, you know, very pointy, very small thing. But, you know, filling in little, you know, I, I could be looking at Reddit, looking at memes, or I could be you know, <laughs> trying to like convert, you know, strangers to our games. So we have a, you know, a lot of things like that going on. Um, nothing too uh, conservative. Uh, and then you've got regular sales as well. I think everyone knows that with Switch, we've now been, for Deskware, we're in the heavy discounting phase where we'll discount by 80%. Um, you know, I've had a lot of other developers say like, oh, does that ruin your tail? And the tail is, um, you know, your sales that, you know, in, in you know, you've, you've got your reg- you got your spike when you first launch and then you have, you know, your, your sales go mm-hmm. down and that's called your tail. Like how thick your tail is is how well you do. Um, and does going on sale for 80% really thin out your tail? And from what we've found, it, it doesn't for a lot of Switch games. And I think there's developers that are hyper-tuned and there's some people on Reddit that are hyper-tuned to how much a game goes on sale. Like they're, they're, they're watching the charts and they're planning for it. Uh, but the general public don't watch the sales that much. They just see it, see it on sale. They go, oh, yeah, I'll buy that. I've heard good things about it. And we've found there's a network effect that if people buy Desk Squared for cheap, in, in large quantities, then after our sale, you know, our tail gets a little bit thicker because there's more people telling, talking about the game because it's got good word of mouth. So we, we found that, you know, sales, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's a race to the bottom, but it's also a way to kind of get that, uh, get that activity out there where people are like, oh, you know, for, for this price, I can't pass it up. So they tell their friends or they say like, oh, I bought that two years ago. You should really get it. Um, yeah, so that, that's a way that... Yeah, I think they're the main strategies. I mean, platforms have certain things you can do. You can run events or um, Steam have, you know, you can run uh, visibility uh, kind of rounds, but you only get five of those, so you have to really choose them wisely. And obviously it's better to do a visibility round when you've had a content update or a sale or this rather than just saying, hey, our game's still here. You know, you want to have like, hey, I'll get, we just updated our game with free DLC or without a DLC. Yeah, in the, the article then the... The talks that Valve did, they did say sales and also updates at the same time were very effective in getting people back in. Now, Mitch did say before that we had posted a Twitter on our social medias, uh, not a Twitter, just a question in general on our social medias, uh, what game you've played the most and why. And we've had lots and lots of responses. Unfortunately, we can't say all of them because there's so many. But there's a couple of really interesting ones. Callum Stone says, Left for Dead 2, mainly because of playing with Steam Workshop mods enabled, and it's my go-to co-op game to play with friends, especially local multiplayer. I think it has also to do with the characters in the game, their personalities, dialogue lines, as well as the way the game itself plays. Ten years later, and it's still one of the greatest games ever made. We also have Guy Sis Kestrel saying, Starcraft, very satisfying to release Zerglings across the map to eat everything. And I think that's a lovely comment to leave it on. Why don't we jump, jump into the next topic? Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. So 
So today we are joined by Ash Ringrose from SMG Studio. He's joining us this evening to tell us all about their new game called Moving Out. Now, Ash, for those who may not know, what is Moving Out? Uh, Moving Out's a chaotic couch co-op game uh, or simulation or, or with everyone locked down, we kind of, we're kind of changing it to a fantasy game now where you've got to move <laughs> uh, items uh, as fast as you can into the truck and you've got to do that cooperatively. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, that's kind of a lot of physics. Um, you know, I've had people say it's kind of like overcooked, but you're moving furniture, but there's a lot more physics there. Um, we're published by Team 17, and we did it as a collaboration with uh, another developer I've, I've known for a while, uh, Jon uh, from Sweden with DevM. So, yeah, it's been a real kind of, you know, global team effort. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, we've, we just launched uh, like day one and a half now, or day two in Australia. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's been received really well. Had a lot of, uh, you know, good good coverage, but also, you know, people people getting it, people getting the little visual gags we put in. So, yeah, I think if you like, we have a free demo you can download and play now so if you can try it before you buy. Now, you mentioned uh, some people have compared it to Overcook. Was that part of the inspiration behind the game or did the inspiration come from somewhere else? Uh, the inspiration, I mean, Jon, who had the first prototype, hadn't played Overcooked before he sent it to me and I hadn't played Overcooked when he sent it to me. Um, even though, you know, I've seen people play and I knew about it. Um, but the inspiration was initially it was going to start to be much more of a simulation game. So it was like, you know, moving slowly and moving precisely. Uh, Jan had helped a friend move and, you know, they'd got out, you know, they're trying to move a, like that scene from Friends, the pivot scene, they're trying to move a couch down the stairs, but they were trying to measure it and work it out mathematically to see if it actually fit. Um, and how to do it, the best angle. And Nyon was like, oh, you know, I'm going to gamify this and make a little game. But he realized, like, quite quickly that doing it as simulation mode was probably very boring. It's actually more fun to kind of, you know, smash things and have chaos. So um, I, I don't think Overcooked was, like, the inspiration, but we definitely um, looked at Overcooked as, you know, like, in a best-in-class, like, what did they do that made the game great? And, you know, we, we, we saw an actual, um, the, the level designers or the, the two guys, you know, had a great thread on how they designed levels. So we, we looked at how they did that and, you know, the kind of flow on levels, you know, they had, you know, this is the main flow and the side flow. So we definitely took inspiration from me, even just how they approached level design. I think that was um, part of it. But, yeah, I think I think people, because people seem to see Team 17, they just think it's overcooked. But, yeah, it definitely plays a lot differently. But. Yes, there's, there's similarities there, but I think the biggest similarity is, you know, couch co-op. You know, people like you have to work together because um, there's a lot of games where you're actually working against people. Mm-hmm. And I think people are surprised like, oh, no, I have to work with this person. Like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I like this. You know, and it definitely breaks down, a, um, opens up a new batch of players that, you know, when you're working together with someone, you know, it's a much more satisfying experience than working against someone. One of my favorite scenes from the trailer and um i immediately tried to emulate it when i got the game uh, is when the two characters throw the couch through the window like into the truck yeah, yeah. i love that um so uh, where where do you where do you kind of come up with like those scenarios like not only just like simply moving stuff out of a house but also like you know the visual gag as well where do, the, where do they all come from yeah i think we initially when we we're first starting we had uh you know we were deducting points for smashing stuff and then we're like oh what if we make it so you get points for smashing stuff and when we play tested that we realized that people were playing a different way they were you know going around smashing all the windows and smashing things and it wasn't um they weren't focusing on the actual goal 
And and then if you flip it the other way, if you make it so you lose points, then people are you know being very precise and weren't having fun. So we kind of threw out any point system and made it all about time. And by virtue of that, just if you let if if anything goes and you you kind of tune the game for chaos, then those things happen naturally. And so we thought, you know, okay, well, how do we how do we make it so the window's there? And it's obviously the quickest way to do it. So a lot of that was that, like we, like I said, where we looked at the way Overcooked did their levels and they said, you know, this is the optimal path. And we had like a green line going, this is the best way to do it. And secondary, you could go around and take it through the door. Or thirdly, you could go around the, the back way and avoid things. So we kind of designed levels where the optimal path is probably the one of the most chaos. And we tuned the game for fun as well. So, you know, it's more fun to throw it through a window than it is to take it through the door. And so, yeah, there's a lot of tuning and tweaking levels to kind of, you know, make the optimal path almost be the most chaotic. And speaking of levels, some of them are either in space and on a plane. Why did you decide such unusual unusual places for moving furniture? Yeah, I, we, I think the main thing was to have variety of uh, not just the variety in how you play the level, but just how the levels look and um, visually. So we wanted to kind of tell a story. There's a quite a 1980s Scooby-Doo story um, running throughout. It's quite story light, but it still kind of has a twist and a surprise ending. Um, but we wanted to have that variety. So when you saw screenshots and when you're playing, it's like, oh, okay, now I'm in a warehouse. Oh, now I'm in a secret lab. Oh, now I'm in space and now I'm on a plane. And um, yeah, we wanted to just keep it fresh for the players and, you know, make it interesting from from that level. I think also for the for the artists, they wanted to flex different muscles as well and have a bit of fun. So... You know, we had a little bit of um, the story kind of led some ways, but then the art also led the other. So, you know, we had the ability of like, oh, we can just tweak the story to match whatever art we want to do. You know, if we need it, we'll put a farm in and we'll make sh- we'll make the story adapt for the farm, you know, because I think we kind of let the gameplay and the art lead the way and then have the story kind of um, uh, post-rationalize a lot of the design decisions. So there are pretty, like, fantastic elements of the game, for example, the space levels, but the physics yeah. all seems really grounded in reality, like things fall and, and they, uh, they interact with each other. How do you find the balance between the two? Uh, yeah, it was, we, we had some... We experimented with zero gravity um, a little bit, and it, wasn't, it didn't work out as well as we thought. We might still come back to it. Um, a lot of it's just making it so people... Are, <clears throat> sorry, pardon me. Let me have a drink of water. Oh, wait. Oh, no, I've ruined my illusion. <laughs> I actually have to have – I pretended to drink water. I forgot to actually have any water. Um, I think it's – It's. I think – I don't know. I think it was uh, Cliff Belinsky was saying, like, red barrels explode, right? Like, when you shoot a red barrel, you expect it to explode. So if I throw something, I want it to be – I expect it to have a, a certain arc or when, you know, when you toss something, I want it to have, feel like it's got some weight. So I think – we wanted people to still have some reality in the game where, you know, if I throw this, I know what's going to happen or if I, I can catch it in the air or I, I can throw and jump. So I think it was just being very consistent with those rules. Uh, so then letting people have fun in in the world, then if you make everything too fantastic, then they, they don't know what to expect. You know, if everything's kind of floating in different ways and every level treats the rules differently, it makes it harder for them, for them, for the, for people to play it. So if you set the rules and, this does this and this red box is a fragile box and this will smash. Then you kind of let the, the levels, uh, the level mechanics and the game mechanics dictate the game versus, you know, letting physics go all over the place or, you know, different rules for every level. 
I guess, what were some of the biggest challenges when creating this game? Yeah, the I mean, there's a, there's a couple. Uh, initially, it was probably it's probably scope, right? Um, you know, I, I would love to have a hundred levels. Uh, you know, because more everyone loves more levels, and I think it was it was defining that scope early on and and making sure everyone was happy with that. So, scope in terms of gameplay mechanics, um, level themes, and art. Uh, the artist definitely wanted to tell a story through the levels. So, you know, if we if we go into space and we have to have a you know whole bunch of space art art assets, if we go in a, a warehouse or a secret laboratory, we need those. So, defining that scope and getting that down to be comfortable with the team and not, you know, uh, going in and above our, uh, going above our heads on that. So we, we define the scope pretty ruthlessly in that sense. Um, luckily we've got a lot left on the table that, you know, we've, I think we've got a really fun sandbox we can expand on. So I think scope, scope is the biggest challenge for, for any studio in any game. Um, cause sometimes you, you know, you can't just throw more people at stuff cause it just makes it even worse. Got that. Um, we did a lot of play testing as well to make sure that things were um, the levels were reading right, or how how were, were people understanding the controls. So we actually introduced a tutorial level quite early on in play testing, so we could play test how people could be onboarded without you know someone there telling them how to play. Um, so that was really good. So I think that's a big challenge as always. You know, getting people to understand your controls. Do they learn the game instinctively, or do you have to like? beat them over the head with like instructions and tutorials. So even though our game's quite simple, we have a few advanced mechanics such as, you know, I think like you said, throwing the couch out a window requires two players and there's a few controls you have to do. So, you know, I think onboarding players uh, seamlessly and creatively and visually is the best way to do that than, you know, having heaps of tutorials. So I think those two scope and kind of, you know, play testing and making sure the game's kind of, you know, understandable. Um, I think, I mean, that, that were the two biggest challenges. I mean, we, we had a kind of a good run with, uh, team 17 and Yon cause we we're in different time zones. Like we would, we would do, we would send a bill to team 17 when we finish at 6 PM. Um, our 6 PM was there 9 AM or 8 AM. So they would get it, work on it. And we'd have feedback by the time we came back in the office. So the only time that becomes an issue is when you have very quick turnaround times needed, such as like in the final submission phase, where you finish at six, you send something, and then oh, there's a there's a, a bug or an issue that needs to be fixed straight away, and then we can't get to it till the end of their day. So um, you know that's a challenge. Um, but I think we spent most of our time you know, building the game, so it, you know that that's at the very pointy end. So the majority of the time that wasn't an issue. Um, yeah, I think that's pro- that's probably it. I mean, we had. Other funny stories where, you know, we we're trying to do the soundtrack and we had a really, we wanted to license, it turned into a good story, but we wanted to license the touch by Stan Bush. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's actually easy to, you know, it's, it's easy to license tracks because you just pay the money and you license the track. But the issue was um, if we put that track in the game and a streamer or a content creator, or we put it into a trailer and a media outlet uploads it, they're instantly going to get a YouTube um, mm. uh, notification. You know, and we can, we can do that on our account. We can say, oh, we dispute that. But if you're a IGN or a streamer or a small channel, you're not going to go through that hassle. So, um, you know, so that was a, you know, a little bit of a, a roadblock initially. It was like, oh, you know, this track is so great for what we want, but it causes content violations. 
So we actually, uh, but in that process of contacting Stan Bush or uh, his producer, we actually got in contact with his producer and he's like, oh, well, I've got all these tracks that I made in the 80s that I've never released. Do you want to just go through my back catalogue? And we're like, yeah. And uh, so we just opened up his archives and so actually all the tracks except two of them um, were actually literally made in the 80s. And because they'd never been released before, they didn't have any uh, content violation issues. And so it was kind of like what, what was initially a roadblock actually turned into a really cool story. And uh, IGN put a piece up about, you know, Lenny and, um, you know, his story. And, you know, he's been an, <laughs> quite a legendary producer when we looked him up and he's got all these gold records and gold cassette tapes. And um, But, yeah, we've got tracks that, you know, I think it was like uh, Tina Turner or Whitney Houston had didn't want in the 80s and we've got it now. And, um, <laughs> That's so that, that was really cool. But that's that. That was still a you know a bit of a roadblock initially. It was like, oh, we we want this really great track for our game, but it's having luckily having the foresight of like, oh, this is going to cause issues longer down the track. So um, I think that's it. There's and we put together a new team in Melbourne as well. So SMG's based in Sydney, and we put together a new team in Melbourne. So putting together a new team and and starting a game uh, of this size because this is our Melbourne's first uh, release um, was, you know, quite an endeavor, but the team really, you know, came together quite well. So, you know, that, that was a bit of a struggle, just learning different ways of working. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've worked with some of the people in my Sydney team for 10, 12, 11, 9, 7, 5 years, and never really good rapport and uh, shorthand. And um, whereas with the team in Melbourne, and, you know, they're all, they're all new. Some of them, it's their first job. Some of them have had jobs, many jobs before. So, uh, it's just finding that that way of working and communication. So, um, you know, I'd go down to Melbourne as frequently as I could. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, I think we've definitely found our groove now. And it's always like one of those things, like, wow, the the last year, like the last six months of development, the game just went in- infinitely further along than um, you know, the first year of development. Just just because you kind of find your your rhythm. Yeah. You're not you're not going to a lot a lot of times in game dev, you'll do two steps forward, one step back. So. You'll do some things and you go, actually, that doesn't work quite right for a level design or a gameplay mechanic. And so you go backwards. But by the last six months, you know, all the decisions have been made. It was just about polish and fixes and and doing the work. So, um, you know, I think uh, we've kind of found our, our rhythm and groove now. We're in, actually, it's a really, uh, uh, the team's, you know, really gelled now. Now, one of the uh, Stadia launch announcement games was very, very similar to moving out, uh, tell us how did it feel for you and the team as well when you saw that game was announced? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, they could have they could have picked a different release date than our date um, would have been great. But yeah, I think it's it's almost like Bugs Life and Ants. You know, these things happen where the collective consciousness, um, you know, picks a theme that you know at one point uh, when we when we announced it, uh, kind of funny game showcase. There was no games like that, and it was like Blue Ocean, you know, like we're the only game in this kind of category, or not category, this kind of theme. And then, you know, everyone else is like, oh, well, we've been working on that, that, that kind of theme as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, you got Call of Duty, you got Battlefield, you know. <laughs> uh, you've got, uh, yeah, it just it, it's unfortunate because we thought we had a very, uh, you know, again, Blue Ocean. But, uh, you know, luckily we're distinctive enough and, you know, our, you know, our game is kind of wholesome and uh, focus on polish to make it, you know, stand out. So, yeah, hopefully there's no uh, confusion there. But 
I think um, for us, you know, like any game, you'd, you'd want you'd want that kind of clear blue ocean. But I think with the theme as you would say as generic or as as universal as as moving furniture or moving out or moving, uh, you know, moving house, um, it's, it's it was bound to happen. Did you change anything at all, or did you just keep going with what you were doing? Uh, there's not much you can change. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, luckily, you know, the games are, are different enough, you know, but, yeah, I think if I had my time again, I'd probably uh, announce, you know, I think if you announce like three months out or six months out, maybe that's a better mm-hmm. better way than announcing like a year and a half out. Um, but, yeah, I think I think you just have to know like that this, no matter what, what game you have that this may happen. So as long as you make the best game that you can, um, <clears throat> sorry, uh, you should be fine. Considering the current climate of social distancing and and some people are still in quarantine that we find ourselves in right now, were you a bit concerned about re- releasing like a couch co-op game? Yeah, I mean, it's a it could go both ways. There's a lot of families stuck at home. Um, a lot of people, not I'd say stuck, you know, there's a lot of people bravely staying at home to uh, socially distance themselves. Um, that that are starved for things to do together. Um, I, like I said, I have a Twitter search, you know, looking for Switch games, but I also have a Twitter search looking for co-op games. And, uh, you know, the signal and the noise from that previously would have been like one in 50 would be like, oh, I'm looking for a new co-op game to play with the family. And I'd say since, you know, March, mid-March, it's now probably one in 10 are saying like, oh, I, you know, I need a game to play with the kids. They drive me nuts or... Um, I need to play to, I need a game to play with my partner. We're just, you know, we're bored. We want, we want things to do. So I feel like that's increased. Um, uh, you know, so, you know, there's still a, it's still a big market there. And I think it's almost a captive audience now to sort of taking the kids out to the theme park. You know, my, my yearly pass of the theme parks is now, you know, on hold. Um, you're going to spend time, you know, playing games together. Mm-hmm. So I think you, you can see that with the amount of switch uh, consoles sold, you know, they're sold out everywhere in Australia, sold out overseas, yeah, that's- that people just want to play together. So we'll finish off with just a couple of questions from the Twitch chat, because uh, we've got Zeppelin Game. Uh, so the, they said the playtest is really great, um, easy and intuitive tutorial, and explains everything in just under two minutes, or in just about two minutes. And uh, Zeppelin Games, when referring to one of the levels, says the farm level is painful, all those chickens. <laughs> and, oh, <yeah>. um, <laughs> and they just sent a question through, um, which I'll just read out to you. Um, is uh, would you consider adding an online multiplayer? Oh, look, we we made the decision quite early on, like to not have that initially. Mainly for we wanted to be on all platforms at the same time, and we wanted to be highly polished. You know, there's kind of it's it's almost like a triangle. You know, fast, good, and cheap. Um, <laughs> or you know, like I want it to be polished. I want it to be on time on all platforms, and I want online multiplayer. Um, so we made the decision to not not add that. If we were to go back and add it. I think for the for this game, you know, there's a it's not a it's not a matter of ticking a box or just adding or dragging on the you know the SDK. There's a lot more to kind of add testing um, stuff. So I won't say never, but um, for now, no, we won't be adding it just um, just for the complexities involved and just the um, the potential issues it'll cause. So you know, I don't, I don't want to have a bad experience for everyone because we're trying to make it good for online. I'd rather you know. I'd, ra- I'd rather I'd rather only say what we we can deliver to be a highly polished product. So, but you've got uh, Steam uh, Remote Play. There's Parsec on PS4. There's SharePlay. So there's there's options there um, to get around it and to to experience it. 
but um, obviously that doesn't work for everyone in every country. So, yeah. That's a bad answer, but, you know, I don't have a perfect perfect answer for that. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's a good place to leave it for now. Unfortunately, that is all we have time for today. But thank you for watching or listening to episode 145 of Pixel Sift. This episode has been hosted by myself and Mitch. So thanks for joining me tonight, Mitch. Always a pleasure, Faye. And thank you to Ashring Rose for taking the time for being on our show tonight. It was fantastic to have you back again. Thank you, and I'll see you online. Pixel Sip is produced by Scott Quigg, Sarah Island, myself, Mitch, Daniel Ang, and Gianni Di Giovanni is our executive producer. And as always, we'll be sticking links to the topics we spoke about tonight in the show notes on our website at www.pixelsif.com.au. And you can also come and join us on Discord. We'd love to have you there. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash discords where you can share your creative work, talk about topics and the games you've been playing and everything else. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash discord. And if you like what we do, can I ask you a favor? We need your help to share the show. So tell a friend, subscribe your brothers and sisters and start someone's journey into podcasts because we know it's a little tough getting started, but once you're in, you'll love it. Our next episode will be recorded live on twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift on Thursday 14th of May at 7.30pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. So you can come and join us and be part of the episode. We post a question a few days before the episode, so feel free to add your comments and tell us all about your games and what you love and we'll happily read them out on the show. Next week, though, is Thursday, 7th of May, and will be Pixel Sift Plays, where we play some of the many indie games that feature on our show. That's all for this week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. See ya. Bye.